I would love to get to a point in the next, say, three to five years where every person graduating from an undergrad program in computer science understands that the right approach to data privacy and data security and protecting essentially customer data is this data privacy vault pattern. Now, I love that they also come to Skyflow and use our product, but fundamentally, they need to understand that. And that is a great starting point. And I can't imagine a world where that is not a default pattern sometime in the future for companies to adopt. And this is the pattern that's used by Google, Netflix, Apple, and a handful of other companies. Welcome to the Marketing Moguls Podcast, where we talk to the big shots, the heavy hitters, the cream of the crop in the world of marketing. This is a show where we sit down with the most brilliant minds in the industry, and we pick their brains to find out what makes them tick, what makes them successful, and sometimes what makes them want to pull their hair out. Each episode, we'll be talking to top executives, entrepreneurs, even influencers who have made their mark in the marketing world, and we'll be asking them tough questions like, what's the best way to increase conversions? Or how do you come up with a killer ad campaign? Or why do marketers always wear black? But let's be real, we're not just here to talk shop, we're also here to have some fun. So we'll be discussing some of the latest trends, we're gonna be sharing some hilarious marketing fails, and maybe even trying to convince our guests to let us in on their secret to creating the perfect meme. So whether you're a marketer, a business owner, or just someone who's fascinated by the world of marketing, this podcast is for you. Sit back, grab your favorite drink, and join us as we dive into the minds of the marketing moguls that are shaping the industry today. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Moguls Podcast. We have a really, really great guest on today. We're joined by Sean Falconer, who's the head of marketing over at Skyflow. Sean, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you here. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, it's great to be here. I love doing podcasts. So I'm here to chat about Skyflow, my role and everything else that I can answer for you. Awesome. That's actually a great thing to start on for us. If you don't mind, just for myself and for the audience, can you give us a brief introduction into who you are and what you do at Skyflow? In terms of my background, I'm actually like a classically trained engineer. I studied computer science for a decade, did three different degrees in computer science, and even a postdoc in bioinformatics at one point. And I started my career as a startup founder, technical co-founder of a company. But as part of being a founder, you have to wear a lot of hats, especially small companies. So that's where I cut my teeth from like a marketing perspective. We never were really, really big. So I had to learn essentially, how do we grow this thing? How do we do a go-to-market motion? How do we product market this thing, scale it from a demand generation standpoint, is build an SCR team, all this type of stuff I learned there. And from there, I went to Google. And then after I've recently in the last year, a little over a year ago, I joined Skyflow actually originally as their head of developer relations. And then partly through the year, I ended up in a dual role of developer relations and product marketing, but now leading all of marketing for Skyflow. Wow. So can you tell us a little bit about Skyflow? Give us the overview of what Skyflow does, what your product is, who you serve, the market you serve and everything like that? Sure. So I think a good analogy or way to explain it is if you look at the last 20 years of how consumers interact with not just technology, but almost any company in the world, we are constantly giving up like our personal information to different companies. If you're buying something online, you're even buying something at a pharmacy, you're giving up information about yourself. And we blindly trust that those companies are doing a good job of protecting that information. But any Monday morning, go to Google News, do a search for data breach, you'll be quickly disillusioned of the fact that most of these companies do not have a handle on this problem. There is a major data breach by a gigantic corporation basically on a weekly basis, and it happens over and over again. I think that naturally makes you ask the question of why is it that these companies that have 
infinite resources still struggle with this problem? Can't they put a team on this or can't they buy some sort of tool to solve this problem? And I think the simple answer to that is fundamentally for most of these companies, it's just not their job to protect your data. Even though you're giving it to them, if you work for Uber, your job is how do I deliver a driver to pick up a client as efficiently as possible? And that is essentially the prime directive of that company, what they're hiring the talent to solve and what the focus 24-7 is. So things like, how do I protect the customer data? How do I put first-class privacy security controls around the information I'm storing is at most essentially an afterthought. It's similar if you decided, I'm going to store gold and all the money I make in my house then what you're doing is you're taking on essentially that responsibility of protecting gold and money. And most people don't do that. Instead, what we do is we put it in a bank where the bank essentially are the experts, have the infrastructure to store that stuff essentially within a vault. And then we use plastic as a proxy to the actual money that we have. In many ways, Skyflow is essentially a vault, but for your customer data. So essentially, we are the experts for protecting that valuable asset that you have as a company, which is your customer data. And then we give you proxies for how you can actually use it without exposing your infrastructure to it. So you're offloading a lot of the responsibility of data security, data privacy, compliance, and so on, onto using Skyflow, which is specially designed for solving those problems. Hey there, we want to take a quick second to thank our sponsors of this episode, Tier 11. Do you ever sit at your computer wondering why you're spending so much money on advertisement for your business that drives little to no revenue? Does the idea of another month with low engagement make you want to pull your hair out? Well, you're in luck because the team of professionals over at Tier 11 can handle these issues in no time flat and make you forget all about your nightmare ad experience. Tier 11 is an advertising agency that manages over $100 million in annual ad spend and has more than 15 years of advertising experience. So it's pretty safe to say they know their stuff. Stop wasting your time and your budget on advertising that doesn't work and trust the professionals instead. Head over to www.tier11.com today and chat with a team member to learn more about how they can help you get more customers and increase their lifetime value. That's T-I-E-R-E-L-E-V-E-N.com. Now back to the podcast. Gotcha. Wow, that is incredibly interesting. And that was a really good way of describing that too. I definitely want to get into more in depth about that technology and what Skyflow is currently doing in order to help make sure that those situations like you mentioned that you're right, I see all the time that doesn't occur. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, a lot of our listeners come from a wide range of different backgrounds, some of which are coming from a more tech-oriented background like yourself. Maybe they're doing something more in line with engineering or computer programming or something like that, but they might be interested in expanding over into the field of marketing. Could you talk a little bit about how you found yourself starting to do more of this marketing? I know you mentioned that you had the startup experience and you had to learn how to do it. How did your career path kind of gravitate into this marketing direction? Yeah, it certainly wasn't by design. It's almost like I fell into it in some ways. And technically, Skyflow is my first time having an official marketing role in a company. But I think in many ways, and this is probably true, I'm sure, of lots of other people, I've been doing some form of marketing like most of my career in some capacity. So even in my undergrad, which was in computer science, as I mentioned, I was on like the hardcore side of computer science. I was doing theory and computation with a minor in math. So very like mathematical, abstract. But while I was doing that, I also at my university built like a programming club that I recruited students into. And I taught them how to prepare for programming competitions. And I advocated you should be doing this because it's great like 
it's fun. And then it's a great way to boost your career and so forth. And that club still exists today. So even back then, I was doing some form of advocacy, marketing at that stage. And then while I was doing my PhD, I worked in a human computer interaction and software engineering lab. And as part of my studies in research, I learned a lot about doing user studies, discovering pain, designing systems to help solve that those pain points. And those are the same kinds of things that you do in marketing to understand like your ICP and how do you build authentic messaging for them. You really need to get in sort of the mind of the people that you're trying to target. And then during my postdoc, I ended up, as I mentioned, founding a company where I was the technical co-founder. And we were always small and scrappy. Even though I was writing most of the code for our software, I also built the marketing team, scaled the SDR team, and ultimately made that business get to a place where it was self-sustaining and cash flow positive through content marketing and SEO. And I just had to learn that stuff because there's nobody else to do it. Either we go to business or I figure this stuff out. So nothing is like a greater motivator in the world than lack of resources, but a desire to still succeed. So that really was what allowed me to cut my teeth in a more professional way in marketing. And then I stepped away from my startup. After seven years, I was ready for something new. Some companies approached me about potential marketing roles because I heard this story of what I was able to do at the company. But I wasn't sure I wanted to really move into a marketing career because I spent all this time studying computer science. I was like, maybe I should go back and do pure engineering, maybe do product management. And I took a bunch of interviews in those capacity. And I was originally referred to Google as a software engineer. But when they saw my background where I had blogged for years, I spoke at conferences, I published papers, I grew a business... They called me and they said, hey, we think you'd be a really good fit for developer relations. Would you be interested in interviewing for that? And I was like, cool, what's developer relations? <laughs> and they like explained that it was this sort of combination of being an engineer, but also publicly speaking and being an advocate on behalf of Google and representing Google externally, while also taking feedback to the product and engineering team to make the products better. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a really good fit for me. And my fear with being a pure engineer was that I would be too siloed. And I was so used to doing so many different things as a startup founder. I was worried about, could I enjoy sitting there coding, working on such a limited number of things day after day? And this would give me a chance to do some form of engineering while still doing other sort of more cross-functional work. And Google developer relations is very much an engineering function, but we still own like the developer go-to-market. So you're still doing more traditional marketing work as well. The reality is like 33% of DevRel teams are actually located within marketing, or especially when you go to startups. So when I joined Skyflow, I was for the first time within the marketing org, and I reported directly to our CMO at that time. And then the CMO left about halfway through the year, and that's when I took over product marketing, and then eventually all of marketing. We are a very technical product. We ultimately sell to engineers and architects, and those are my people. I understand them, and I think I understand how to create messaging that resonates with them. I feel like marketing very much is about building relationships at scale. And I think I know how to build like deep relationships with engineers because I've been doing it my entire adult life. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I can't think of a better person to market a technical product like that than someone who understands exactly the situation. If you were to have a traditional marketing person come in, they might not understand all of the lingo with the way that it works and how to speak to people that are in that industry that are doing those sort of jobs and everything. So I think that makes perfect sense. I wanted to ask just out of curiosity, how much engineering do you get to do now? 
Done a ton. Occasionally, I build a demo or a proof of concept. I was doing more in the early part of my time at Skyflow when I was purely focused on developer relations because I would put together potential proof of concept or demo for talks and stuff. I just have a lot less capacity to do IC work at this point, even though I still enjoy it. Occasionally, I'll throw together even scripts to automate things related to marketing or do certain data analytics. So I also have a background in data science from being a professional researcher in some capacity for a while. So I think that allows me to dig into problems in a different way than a lot of people. And also, I don't need to wait for a tool. I can build my own tool to do the types of analysis that I need to do. Yeah, which is incredibly helpful for sure. Being someone who does have to wait for tools, it must be very useful to be able to develop and build a lot of your own. I wanted to ask as well, like it's speaking more specifically in terms of Skyflow, how do you find it is to market a more deeply technical product like that? Like, I guess maybe a better way for me to phrase it is how do you go about marketing a product that a lot of people might not understand really exactly what it does or how it works or things like that. Yeah, I think one of our biggest challenges as a company and also one of the things that made me really excited to join is we are very much like a new category of product. So it's like the first person to ever bring like a NoSQL database to market or the first data warehouse or something. It's a brand new type of technology where not everybody necessarily knows that they should be building this way. Our technology is what is known as a data privacy vault. And then we make that available through simple APIs. Our big challenge, I think, is one around educating the market so that they understand. One, don't try to take on data privacy and data security yourself. Like That is not going to lead to success. It's a very, very challenging problem to solve. You should leave it to experts. And if you don't, you're going to end up potentially getting fines, but also probably exposing some of your customer data at some point, which is going to be bad. Educating the market that they shouldn't take that on themselves is like one of the big challenges and also making sure that they are prioritizing this from day one is ideal. I do think that we're starting to see a momentum shift in the market, though, not only from our own efforts of educating the market, but also because there's more and more privacy regulations that are happening around the world. Over 100 countries have their own privacy regulations right now. And things like data residency requirements that exist in Europe, Canada now, India, Singapore, the list goes on and on, is actually stopping companies from being able to do international expansion. So nothing is a bigger motivator for companies than a lack of revenue or a lack of opportunity. If you can't go to a country, you can't sell into a country because you don't have a solution to this problem, that's a big motivator. I think that's some of the shifts in the market that we're seeing. But it really comes down to really understanding at a fundamental level, what is it these companies care about? And then articulating how essentially Skyflow can help them based on the problems that they want to solve. So if you're an engineer, or you're doing application development, it might not be that you're going and looking on Google for data privacy vault or how do I do tokenization and encryption for PII. That's not the type of query you're running, but you might be posting on Stack Overflow how do I safely store a social security number or a credit card number or something like that? And if you go to Stack Overflow, those types of questions are there. That means that there are people that have that problem and that's their lens of this particular issue. So you can create content around the types of problems that people care about, as well as events and speaking opportunities and things like that. So there's a combination of like just purely educating the market, making them understand that this is a problem, but also tapping into what are the problems that you're trying to solve now that relate essentially to the types of things that Skyflow can help them with? 
Absolutely. That makes me think I was going to ask random, but can you market on Stack Overflow? I guess you can have a profile and offer assistance and stuff like that. I wonder if that would work. I think they actually have an ads-based model now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can... I forget the details of exactly how it works, but I think you can bid on particular topics and they surface an ad within the threads. Gotcha. Okay. To get a little more granular about Mm -hmm. how Skyflow brings their product to other people to help them understand that it's even there in the first place. What are your current marketing efforts that you all are doing? You mentioned educational content, for example. Like when you do create some educational content to help your audience better understand the product, how do you show that to them? How do you get them to find that educational content? We use a combination of things. A lot of them are things that you would find with any sort of traditional marketing organization as well. We lean heavily now into, I think, SEO and content. Mm-hmm. That's something that we're focusing on in 2023 to to scale up significantly. There's like these problems where, like, how do I store a social security number? How do I keep my customer records out of my log files? There's those fundamental problems that people are searching. But there's also just like conceptual things that people want to understand as well. What is the difference between tokenization and encryption? Is there a way that I can run queries over fully encrypted data, things like that, like concepts that they want to understand as well. And you can be an educator or thought leader in that space. But the key there is that you need to diversify the way that you're presenting that content. So not everybody's going to read a blog post, but a blog post is a great place to start. Can you create a video asset as well? And then can you create a snippet of that video that you send out on social? Can you do a webinar that also talks about these concepts? Can you do a podcast that does it? So that way you're hitting a spectrum of different mediums that are going to allow you to address the largest audience available with the medium that those consumers actually enjoy. Maybe it's not a podcast, but maybe someone loves a TikTok video or a video on YouTube or something like that. Gotcha. So like an omni-channel type of approach where you're trying to get it out across multiple different channels. And that makes perfect sense. Do you have any examples of things that you all have been doing that work very well? Any sort of specific channels or specific forms that you all have found have worked really well for your style of business? I think there's a combination. We think about the people we sell into, there's three different like technical audiences. There's like the CTO or the like senior engineering leader of an organization. They're probably the person that at a macro level, understands the challenges of the business from like a technical perspective, as well as are going to be ultimately the person probably signing a check and decision maker. But then there's also the architect that needs to understand how does Skyflow fit into their existing systems. We're very much an architectural approach to data privacy. So what does it mean to integrate Skyflow into your existing ETL systems or whatever your backend systems are? And then there's going to be the application and data engineer that's actually doing the implementation. Ideally, when it comes to marketing, especially for, I think, an audience like ours, we want to be able to do marketing initiatives that target the CXO level, as well as things that are more bottoms up of the application data engineer. So something like, how do I store social security numbers if you're writing an article that goes through the details of how do you engineer a solution to that? Probably the CTO doesn't care as much about the details of that as the application engineer. You got to think about who you're addressing with the types of content that you're creating. And I think different things are effective for different audiences. I think the C-level type of folks, the things that have been really effective is more around high-level problems that they care about. And then the way that Skyflow can solve those, but not necessarily at the detail of here's the API call that you need to make. It's more like problem solution and the ROI that you're going to get using Skyflow that they're going to care about. And then they'll assign some people to go and look at the details. 
And reaching that audience is a combination of things. There's the new initiatives that we've been successful with is doing dinners, for example, that are more exact level dinners. They're a deeper engagement. It's very different than what I did with my startup where we were selling a job post for under $100 and we scaled that to millions, which means you need a lot of $100 payments in order to do that. So that's high volume. Whereas something like this is you're signing a year contract. This isn't a credit card swipe. The ASP is much, much higher. It's a lot more about going deep with the right audience. So things like account-based marketing, these privacy dinners that are invite only, and you get to spend three hours with the leaders of a company. It's not necessarily about being like overly salesy. It's just building those connections and those relationships. And then that leads to naturally commercial conversations down the road. On the other end of the application data engineer, those are more going to be, can you go to a developer event, speak at those events, educate people about the problems. I did a lot of that last year. And whenever I've done it, all you see is head nods in the room because all these people understand, like, this is a big problem. They get it and they want to do the right thing. When it comes to privacy and security, most engineers, they don't know what they don't know. Like I spent 10 years studying computer science. The only exposure I had at all to these topics was one course on encryption in my undergrad. Like you just don't really get educated on it. I think there's a deep desire by engineers to actually protect people's information and do the right things. They just don't always know what they don't know. So you see a lot of acknowledgements. Oh, like, wow, this is amazing. Why haven't I learned about this? So ideally, you're doing the sandwich approach of how do you reach the C-level? And then also, how do you educate the market? They understand that this is a problem and they're going to bring it up to the executives when it makes sense. Definitely. And it's very reassuring to hear that not only do they recognize that it's an issue, but they're also willing to get behind it and be like, yeah, we should probably figure out something to do about this. Because <laughs> I'm sure for anyone who's listening, who's gone through like a data breach, they understand that it's very important to them. So it's good to hear that the engineers and the people who are working with these data sets also recognize that this is a really important situation and issue to discuss. In my first couple of months at Skyflow, I gave a university guest lecture where I did my PhD at University of Victoria. And I was talking about data privacy and I introduced this concept of the data privacy vault and how it helps solve these problems. And the first question I got from my third year computer science students, he was like, why haven't I heard about this? Like, why is this the first time I'm learning about this? And he was kicked off that he hadn't actually been exposed to any of this stuff. And really my big vision for what we're doing at Skyflow in particular on the marketing team is that I would love to get to a point in the next, say, three to five years where every person graduating from an undergrad program in computer science understands that the right approach to data privacy and data security and protecting essentially customer data is this data privacy vault pattern. Now, I love that they also come to Skyflow and use our product, but fundamentally, they need to understand that. And that is a great starting point. And I can't imagine a world where that is not a default pattern sometime in the future for companies to adopt. And this is the pattern that's used by Google, Netflix, Apple, and a handful of other companies, but they built these things internally. They never productized them the way that we did. Yeah. And it seems like typically there's some sort of lag, right? Where there's like a need for something and it takes a little time for especially like universities and training institutions to catch up some. But I believe from my limited knowledge on it, that at some point it makes perfect sense for each undergraduate institution that's teaching computer scientists, the teaching the next wave of people to come in and do this. 
that, yeah, this should be something that they probably understand and that they work with at least some so that you don't have situations like you did where somebody's a third year and they're like, how come I've never heard of this before? But it's good that you were there and you were able to provide that information to them and have them all hear about it. We are running a little short on time, but I did want to try to ask you one final question before we let you go, which is that for everyone out in the audience that's listening, especially people who have some form of engineering background or a more tech-related background, is there any advice that you can give to them about maybe how they could end up finding themselves in a position like you're in? Something more marketing related or something more related to these developer relation type of roles and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a couple things. If you are an engineer and you want to move into developer relations or you want to move into marketing, I think a lot of times those people are already doing some aspects of those things. Because typically, the people who end up moving into developer relations... They start as an engineer, but they're also blogging on the side, learning public, speaking at like every engineering organization. You can find a handful of those people that are already doing those types of things. They're already developer advocates. They just don't know that it's called that thing. That's a natural fit. But if you don't have that and you want to move into it, then my suggestion would be to start doing those things, essentially write about what you're learning and share it publicly. And even if no one reads it, like I blogged for years where probably my mom was the only person reading those things, <laughs> but I didn't do it because I was trying to build a big audience or anything. I did it for myself. That allowed me to hone a lot of the skills of telling a story and messaging. Same with public speaking. I was painfully, cripplingly shy in my first couple of years at the university. And it would terrify me to get up in front of an audience and speak. But now I've done it so many times. It's just about building like 10,000 hours or whatever it is to put yourself out there and do those things. That allows you to get better with time and actually reflecting on what you did. Even as painful as it is, listening to yourself speak or listening to yourself, watch yourself present. It's an awful experience at the beginning. I don't know if I've gotten better. I've just built up more of a callus for <laughs> watching myself, but I think it is a way to learn. And I think if you just focus on those things, it'll help a lot. But those are some of the core skills that you can develop on your own if you're ever interested in moving in this way. And the last thing I'll say is that with the growth, the huge explosion of developer first sort of API first companies, I think what we're going to see in the next little while is a lot more heads of marketing, CMOs that look a lot more like me in terms of my background than sort of the traditional pure marketing background. Because it really comes down to skill stacking the technical skills with being able to create messaging that makes sense. And I think it's harder to do that if you don't have deep knowledge of who the persona and the profile that you're trying to reach. And someone who has an engineering background, like marketing for those products, inherently has that because they've been there, they've done it, and they can just speak at a much deeper authentic level than someone who's never done it before. And I love that idea and the concept of skill stacking as well, because one of the things that we always try to promote here on the podcast is continuing to learn, right? That's why we typically listen to podcasts is because it's something that we're interested in, we want to learn more about. So I really appreciate that insight. It's great to hear from someone who's actually done it, what it's like to navigate your way into a position like that. Sadly, that's all we have time for today. But I just want to take a quick second to shout you out and just say thank you again, Sean, for coming on the show. It was great to chat with you about everything. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, cool, everyone. Thanks again for tuning into another episode of the Marketing Moguls podcast, and we will catch you on the next one.